This is the final topic of a series that we began four weeks ago, and the title of the series was Make Room. Uh, make room for some things in our lives, and we look back and, and we talked about making room for generosity because we have a God who is incredibly generous. Uh, make room for strangers. It's the idea that God places in our lives people at times that we don't know. And it's the idea of biblical hospitality. That word really is the love of strangers. And then we looked at last Sunday, make room for hope. This idea that God is our hope and that hope was sent into the world. And then yesterday at the Christmas Eve service, we said, make room for a miracle. The idea there that the miracle, two of them really, that God became man. And that is probably the greatest miracle of all of history. And then this second miracle, frankly, of salvation that I think we take for granted. We kind of think it's just some simple thing, but it indeed was a miracle. But this time of the year, when you're going to probably look at your bank statement this next week and you realize how expensive it's been and even just the time and the energy and relationships and all the things that are going on and the miles that you've piled on your car. And this morning we come to that last topic and it says this, make room for rest. Now many of you are today going, man, after this month I need a break. And actually that was kind of where I was intended on heading because I had picked out a passage but then I dug in and I had to do a little switching but I want to there is a place where we do need to make room for even physical rest and create margin in our lives and and Jim you want to play that first video this is just kind of introduction for that class now some of you can relate to that just a little bit too much I, I, I suspect and just on uh, January 11th, that class, uh, just again, if you want to be a part of that, it might be a great time to just take about four weeks and just kind of look at what are the margins in our lives in terms of even physical rest and the pace of our lives. Really, that is, is really going to be the focus. But today, I had chosen this passage, and I was intended to go kind of go down that path, and all of a sudden, I started digging into the text, and I go, uh-oh. It's really not dealing with what I was thinking because there's a twist to it. So turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 11. And I want to show you where we're going to go today. Just, But I want to back up a couple verses from what we're going to focus on. Look at Matthew 11 verse 25. At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, the Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then verse 28, come to me. All who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Leave room for rest. But it's the type of rest that we're talking about in this text. Now last week, last Sunday, we looked at the idea of hope. 
And, and what I discovered here in digging in this t- passage here today is last week, if you, if you kind of put a pair of gloves up here, and on the right hand, you put on one of the gloves, and that glove said hope. What I discovered is that the other left-hand glove, you could actually write on that glove and say rest. Literally, they're like a pair of gloves. Hope and rest actually fit together in a profound way. But just listen again. I'll just read it out loud. 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when you pause and ponder those words, are there really any better words that Jesus ever really spoke directly to us than those words? See, to the weak and to the weary and those that are worn out or burdened by life and filled maybe even with fear, Jesus invites us to come to him and then learn from him and he will give us rest. Now, this again isn't just any type of rest. Now, I'm probably going to try to catch a short nap here this afternoon. Don't have to worry about the Viking game, obviously, here today. But right up front, I'll say this. Taking a nap isn't what he's talking about here. See, the rest that he's talking about here, it's joyful, it's peaceful, And it's something that a nap will not provide here. Maybe to say it this way, this kind of rest satisfies the heart. This is almost an invitation of all invitations as Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Now, when we hear that word and we're busy... I think we have, again, kind of a different understanding of that. Matter of fact, if someone walked up here on on the stage today and they had a bunch of envelopes in their hands and they, they said, in each envelope is a trip for two to Cancun. And I have 10 of these trips that I'm going to hand out totally free. See me in the foyer afterward. Jim is raising his hand right now. How many of us would want to line up and go, man, if I could just go on a trip like that, that would be, that would be wonderful and, and so restful. But what if Jesus walked in here, came up on the stage and said, excuse me, Ken. And he turns around and he says this, you know what, follow me this afternoon. And I'm going to put a yoke on you. And you will find rest. And you go, okay. (laughs) It doesn't feel the same taking a trip to Cancun as somehow somebody, Jesus telling us, you're going to learn from me and I'm going to put a yoke on you. We know the picture of a yoke, of horses and why, why it's done like that. But you see, understand that there's this challenge for us in this idea, what is the rest that Jesus is talking about here? But I can tell you this, it's rich, it's deep, and it's thick. And we just need to dig just a little bit here. We could go a lot longer. But first, I think the question there, if you're following along in the back of that insert, I said it this way. To whom is this invitation given? And I said it this way. To some. Now, you're looking at me and go, but it says all. To all. 
Doesn't all mean all? Uh, Jesus would have been a great politician, I'm convinced, as he was uh, communicating. But see, all does not mean all here. There is a qualifying issue here. The qualification is for one to come to him, is for them to understand their desperation and that they actually need Jesus. It's for the people who believe that Jesus alone can meet their need. So some of the requirements is that we need to recognize that we actually need help from someone else other than ourselves. See, in one sense, it's also a willingness to go, okay, Jesus, the yoke that you're going to give me, I'm willing to put it on because you said so. See, take my yoke upon you as well. And some be willing to embrace that yoke, and some will not. And some are going to be willing to learn from him, and some will not. Now, we're going to deal a little bit more with those two things later. But here's a reality as I pondered this and the willingness to, to, to come in this invitation that he throws at us. And I think here's the reality. I think a lot of times that we are willing to come to Jesus and seek what, what he wants for us, but we're kind, we want to do it on our own terms. Jesus, we want rest and we want this sense of understanding that you give, but we want it on what we want. Jesus, you know what? If you really love me, you would give me a trip to the Bahamas so I could rest. I know that you would, that would help me. You know, that's actually kind of coming on our own terms. But you have to catch this, is that the people that he's talking about, that he's inviting, there's a weariness in their lives. And so he's understand, but it's not physical weariness. I think it's this, it's spiritual weariness. It's maybe moral fatigue. It's emotional fatigue, something that goes deeper and is impacting our heart. He's inviting people then that are broken and they know that they have a need. Maybe to, as an illustration, I think he's this. He's inviting the woman with three kids who just got diagnosed with breast cancer. Or he's inviting maybe the teenager who is getting rejected by kids at school. Or maybe he's inviting the family, a husband and wife, who've just gone into bankruptcy. Maybe he's inviting pastors or even followers of Christ who feel, out, who feel burned out and deeply fatigued spiritually. Or maybe even this, he's inviting the young man or woman who struggle with same-sex attraction. And the feelings are overwhelming. He's saying, come to me and I'll give you rest. You know, it's interesting. We got done with Mark about a month ago. And as I was just kind of looking, thinking back of the people in that book who responded to Jesus when he was inviting to follow him, when you think about the different types of people that actually responded, you realize it was the prostitutes. It was the tax collector that nobody liked. It was the shunned men and women, those that had physical ailments. It was the smelly fishermen. It was even the demon-possessed men and children. 
who were struggling with demonic possession. See, why, why did they respond? And I think it's this. They recognized they had a need. And Jesus was the answer to their deepest needs. They came to a place where they couldn't make life work on its own. But see, that's the challenge in our culture and even in our lives. We keep thinking we have to make life work on our terms. But here's the deal. When life goes smooth for us, and at times we just we don't think we need Jesus. And I think it's, it's, it's easier to turn our back and just kind of, the invitation, come to me, those that are hurting. No, we don't need him then. Well, my proposition for you today is even then, we still need him. But let me throw you another question. What does it mean to come to Jesus when he invites us? And I put it this way. We come to a person, not a place. We don't go to a place. You know, when we need rest and we're, we're, our life is kind of shaking a bit, oftentimes, you know what, let's just go to the cabin and kind of isolate ourselves from people. Or maybe we do this, let's go to a conference, find some conference that will re-energize us. Or we go to even to a recovery group, and that will be our safety place. And the reality is, he's not asking us to go to a place. He's not telling us to come to church and you're going to find rest. He says you come to him and find rest. But we realize coming here to him, it means that there must be a response on our part. It's taking steps in a direction, but it's not a physical direction. It's a heart direction. So he's not asking you to walk down an aisle, to raise a hand, to go to a prayer meeting. What he's doing is he's asking us to take our lives and leave our hands, palms up, and say, Jesus, I need you. When weariness overtakes our lives in, any, in the myriad of circumstances, we open up our hands and say, I want to, Jesus, I want to come to you. Open-handed. But understand, coming to him also implies leaving something. You see, coming to Jesus without leaving something behind us really is a critical issue here. And I think of, okay, what are the things that we need to turn our back toward and say, Jesus, I'm going to come to you and you're going to provide rest and joy and comfort and satisfaction. And I think one of the things that's this is that we need to turn our backs on the lies of the evil one. You think of the lies out there that he feeds us day after day, and the world feeds us lie after lie after lie where meaning ultimately is found. See, it's really turning our back on patterns of sin, realizing that the temptation of sin invites us to love things in a different direction other than Christ. It pushes things push away from Jesus. But I think there's a second part of what it means to come to Jesus as well. And for your notes there, I said it this way. We come knowing that he alone is worthy to be worshipped. 
as we move and say, come to me, I will give you rest. There's this place where we have to give him our all, which is our worship. I want to play a video at this point that I think demonstrates something in this area. If you grow up in a church, I, I think a little bit early on, I, I think in years, younger years, I felt like, okay, you either worship or you don't worship. But the fact is, is that everybody is made to worship. But the question is, what do we worship? Or who do we worship? See, it really is so critical because as we realize it, is that worship if it's not toward Christ, the things that we worship will ultimately be incredibly draining. Draining. And it takes energy to worship other than Jesus. Matter of fact, I want to show you from a verse from Ecclesiastes. I want to just give you a snapshot again of, of some of the futility of, of wrong worship. Look at, at chapter 2, verse 1. Solomon writes, I said, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure and to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. Do we know what the conclusion of Solomon was as he looked at all of those things? He said, look, I have stuff. I have people. I can, I can do whatever I want. And you know the answer to Ecclesiastes. He said, it's meaningless. All of it is meaningless. See, and here's the tension that we have in worship. We worship the stuff, and guys, that takes energy to do that. And this, as we worship Jesus, the ultimate one that we're called to worship, he actually gives us life. It's not draining. It actually fills our spiritual tanks. But if we keep believing that we can worship the stuff in our lives, it will forever cause us to be unrestful. It will push us toward draining our tanks spiritually and emotionally and even physically. See, so there's this hard question I think we've got to wrestle with at times. It's this, if we're exhausted with life, exhausted spiritually, is it possible we're just worshiping the wrong stuff? We're not really worshiping Jesus. We're just worshiping the things that, that we think will fill our void in our lives. And I've got to tell you this, it's not just about the unbeliever and the believer here. See, one can know Christ, and deep down, yeah, we want to follow Jesus. 
But we still get trapped by, by those attractive things out in the world where we, they imitate a relationship with Him. But to come to Him, He needs to become our prize. He is the gift for us. And He is the one where our deepest needs actually can be met. So we're called to treasure Him, to hold Him up, and to worship Him. And when we do that, I think this, even in that state of moving toward rest when we meet Him, it's actually joyful. It's not a burden. But it leads to another question. And listen again to verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So what does Jesus give in this rest? There's really two things. His understanding and learning that we need to do and his yoke. Now, getting rest, it means that we're learning and you go, that doesn't feel like restful to me. That feels like work. Learning is kind of like going to school, fighting to get that A or, for me, a C, okay, somewhere in there. But we learn that, what do we learn from Jesus that can give us rest in life? And I'll, I'll just throw some things. I think we learn that Jesus has accomplished once and for all, all that he has come to accomplish. This day, Christmas, we, we sat, we're satisfied in that he came to earth and he died for me. We learn and believe that Jesus will, in the future, he will, he will do what he promises, promises to do. Think of Romans 8. All things work together for good. Either that's true or he's a liar. When things aren't going well in our lives. We learn that Jesus alone can satisfy the desire for rest. And in no way will we can never find it in something else. I think we learn this, that he is the prize. That he's more valuable than wealth or sexual satisfaction or a good job or having power or pleasure. You think of Paul when in Philippians, for me to live in Christ, how deeply satisfying Paul felt at that moment and the, that was the reality of his lives, or of his life. For me to live in, in Christ is actually satisfying. Have we learned that intellectually, put that within our, our, our minds, and do we believe that to be true? Or do we keep seeking other things because we think they can fill the hole within our lives? How about this yoke thing, though, that Jesus calls us to embrace? And I think it flows from learning with him as well. But what it really is this, is we're learning and understanding what it means to follow him and allow him to be the lead. We're yoked to him, and where he goes, we follow. We're in part, he's taking us to places where he wants well, we kind of go, okay, wait a minute a second. What, is that restful? Uh, movement in a certain direction? And, and almost implying this is that when we're yoked to him, 
our life becomes actually busier because at times then we're actually working within the kingdom of God. Doesn't that feel like a contradiction, though, to us at times? That we're yoked with him and we know that he is constantly moving in this world to bring people to himself. And then he's inviting us to kingdom work. But here's the thing. Learning and the yoke doesn't bring weariness and frustration. Instead, it actually brings rest and joy and peace. And this rest that he's offering doesn't mean just forgetting about the biblical and ethical demands that, that, he, that he tells us even in the scriptures. Just There's a study on the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount actually calls us to more. And we go, that's not restful. But there is rest there. Because what he does is he offers a new relationship with himself that makes it possible to fulfill the commands he's calling us to do. And understand, it's not duty. When we move toward him and come to him because he has the rest he can give us, it's actually not duty, it's delight. It becomes delightful. Let me try to illustrate this. You know, some of you, I, I think back, to, you know, I had my kid, or my, one, my son was here, and the, the grandkids, but I, I think of children at times, remember how they, 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 someone tells them, you know, you need to make this thing and give it to your mom and dad, this little project, it could either be school, or it could be Sunday school, or, or some other place, and, and the kids, I, I think of my son or my daughter, they would, they would spend hours doing this project just so they could give it to mom and dad. And they'd be intensely working, working, working to get this project done. Maybe it's paint a picture, do something like that. And then they bring it to us as parents. Let me ask you a question. Do you really think that was work for them? And you go, no. They actually were working hard in anticipating the delight that would take place with mom and dad as they would give that gift to mom and dad. Do you see what it can be for us? We can be working hard. But if we begin to delight in Jesus, the work is not hard. It's actually restful. And you go, oh, that's a little different, isn't it? A little different the way we think of it at times. See, when we delight in the sun... Now, S-O-N, not S-U-N, okay? When we begin to delight in the Father, some of these phrases then begin to make sense of what the Scripture speaks toward. Fight the good fight. Strive to enter the narrow gate. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. See, all of these words, we look at them, we go, oh, they're exhausting. And you go, no. They're actually, they actually can bring rest with us. It can be restful and joyful. 
But there's, see, there's a, there's a piece here where I think we, there's a principle. I don't have it in your notes, but we must understand. And I want to put this on the screen because when God asked us to work hard, to work and give effort, whatever God requires, he provides. Do we believe that? When he invites us to a whole different way to live, to work within the kingdom of God. And we go, oh, that's so tiring. But no, he goes, I will give you rest even in that. But he will always give us what we need to fulfill those even dutiful things, those commandments to work hard, to to create effort in our lives. But do we embrace this principle See, with every command, every imperative, there's an exhortation to do something. And it's this, when our intimacy with Christ grows, when our hearts have this heart-to-heart bond with Jesus, Jesus comes to us and he says this, with every ounce of my omnipotent power, I'm going to put it in you and I'm going to use it through you to fulfill what I want. And if we're doing it in our own power... Understand, it is going to be unrestful, and it's going to be hard, and ultimately what it, I think where it heads is legalism. Where we work to try to gain Christ's favor. See, without a deep heart-to-heart dependence with Christ, the, it, when we st- try to serve him and dutifully go after it, what it does, it just creates a turmoil in our lives and we get, become spiritually drained spiritual fatigue sets in i, I want to show you a verse here and this is going to be the, this one of the central verses of our next series we're going to start a series here in a couple of weeks called the journey of a lifetime but this is a foundational verse of that series, and it's Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone, everyone fully mature in Christ. There's the call of, this, of serving him. But look at verse 29, Paul writes, To this end, I strenuously contend with all of the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. See, Paul, if you were to walk into this room, he would look around us and say, how do I present these people complete in Christ? What does that mean practically? But understand what Paul is understanding here is that he understands that when he gives them a task to do, that he gives them the power to complete the task. And he knows that the Holy Spirit will give him the resources to finish this work and do it with joy. It's not a burden. See, Jesus wants wants us to be captivated with, with himself, with his beauty, with his splendor. And then he supplies all of the needs as we love him and we worship him. He meets the needs and he can give us rest and we're even busy. I want to show you one more verse. Look at 1 John. This explains this verse to, to, to a great degree. For this is the love of God, that you keep his commandments. Doesn't that sound like a burden? We've got to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. He gives us rest. He gives us the energy that we need to, to, to fulfill those commandments. And it's not burdensome. 
we actually can feel restful in it. Do you see that putting the yoke on us, walking with Jesus, a heart-to-heart bond with Jesus, it actually is lighter on us. We don't do the things alone anymore. When we don't want the bond with Jesus, it creates a weight. And it actually kind of leads to a sense of self-righteousness. But when we're connected with Jesus, bonded with him, it freezes and moves away from being self-serving. It freezes from a performance-based religion. Let me show you a quote. I think that just highlights it I found here this week. Look at what it reads. Come to me so that I may carry your burden together. That We, that's Christ, with that of others who join you in trusting in my grace and my promise. Come to me not because I need you, but because you need me. Come to me and I will supply all your needs. Come to me because the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Come to me so that I can offload from your soul all the fears and the burdens and the anxieties that weigh you down and put them on my shoulders. Come to me so that I can work on your behalf and do what you cannot. Come to me and I will give you rest and I will give you a yoke. See, I'll make some other statements here. I'll put it on the screen here. Rest means that there's relief that comes from experiencing release from the anxiety of constantly wondering whether or not I've done enough to gain favor with God. That goes away. Rest means that there's relief that comes to never again fear death. As we're getting older, as we struggle, as we see our parents understand this, that death is... Is a, if we know Christ, it's actually a release to Jesus. Rest means that there's a, belief, a relief in knowing that even if everyone else abandons me, God never will. He will never turn his back on us. Rest means that there's a relief in trusting the perfect and the finished work of Christ for me, rather or never-ending effort on our part to work for Christ. The goal in our, in our faith is not to work for him. It's to be bonded with him and allow him to be the one to steer our lives. Those are the things that we learn and that are true. Uh, I don't have a quote, but one source said this. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. And it really resonated with me here this week. It said this, Jesus promises to give you rest, not pay you rest. And I go, that's good. <laughs> you don't merit rest by coming to Jesus. You receive it as a gift. And, you know, and we're actually undeserving of rest but if justice were the only dynamic at play here for us, we would never have left their burdens in the past in the spiritual anxiety. You know, for what, what do we really deserve? See, apart from Christ, if Christ would never have come in this world, if there never would have been a baby born, folks, 
our lives would be just chaos. But because he came, we actually can live in this world and we can have this joy and rest that he invites us to. Here's the challenge. We're coming up to a new year, 2017. What if we walked through this year always asking and moving toward Jesus, asking him, God, would you just pull me toward yourself? And I want to know your rest this year in 2017. See, that's not physical. It's filling up our spiritual hearts that we're satisfied in him. Just think how restful that is. We don't have to worry about the stuff out there. And that we can go through this world and he uses us for the kingdom. And every day we can come home and we can go, Father, you give me rest again. See, he wants us to be filled, our tanks to be full, not empty. And to do that, we have to go to him, turn our backs, and move toward him. His rest actually is an act of grace and mercy. This week, maybe even today, pause and just say that you're willing to go to him and find rest. Let's stand and pray.